This is The Capital Corner, a McGuire Woods podcast exploring investment strategies, capital structures, and topics relevant in today's middle market private equity. Join McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share practical insights to inform your deal work. Thank you for joining another episode of The Corner Series. I'm your host, Jeff Cockrell, a partner at McGuire Woods. Here at the Corner Series, we we bring together thought leaders and deal makers at the intersection of healthcare and private equity to delve into some of the topics that really drive creating value uh, through private equity investing in healthcare companies. Uh, today, I'm thrilled to be joined by my good friend, Alessio Baraldi, Managing Director at Alberon Capital, which uh, focuses on healthcare investing. We're going to talk some about uh, value creation in healthcare provider services companies, so it'll be an interesting topic. But Alessio, maybe give a quick introduction of yourself and and of uh, Alberon, and then we can uh, jump right into it. Thank you, Jeff. Um, my name is Alessio. Alberon Partners is a independent sponsor that focuses on investing and growing medical practices. So we are active in the lower mid-market private equity space. And uh, we've been around since 2017, made, made a handful of portfolio acquisitions. And uh, we currently have three portfolio companies, one in podiatry, one in IVF, and one in outpatient psychiatry. So, uh, Alessio, in thinking about uh, value creation as an investor, we went through a period of time where the the tide was just uh, lifting all boats. And now we're in a time when there can be headwinds, there can be challenges to overcome, and really focusing on value creation is going to be key I'd love to hear your and Alberon's thoughts on on value creation in a number of dynamics, but let's start with uh, the first conversations on this topic that you have with a potential target group of doctors typically, but how does that conversation usually start and how does it go? Yeah, I would say most doctors are very skeptical about private equity ownership they all have friends that have been scarred by the experience for one reason or the other. And they remember all the bad stories, not necessarily the good stories. And uh, the first question that usually comes up is, why should I partner with private equity? It's all about slashing and burning and cutting costs. And uh, I think we have a pretty good story. And uh, and we typically put the, the perspective partner in touch with uh, doctors that are in our current portfolio companies to let them know and show that our focus is on growing revenue and volume and not cutting costs. And uh, that's a very, very consistent theme across of all of our portfolio companies. And that usually helps uh, facilitate the, the early conversations with business owners who tend to be doctors for the most part. You're usually talking to uh, business owners who've built a successful company Mm -hmm. um, and they may be as much focused on taking a little bit of risk out and cashing in some of their chips than focusing on kind of necessarily uh, your ability to take them to the next level. How often are they receptive to the idea that you're bringing a a different skill set than what they kind of already had? Usually they're pretty receptive. And I think... Uh, this has been uh, a little bit easier in the recent past because most business owners 
are really feeling the impact of uh, wage inflation with their employees. It's been going on for a couple of years. Reimbursements are sort of fixed, and if anything, they tend to go down a little bit. So they're all seeing margin get, margins getting squeezed, and this is probably the first time in their careers that they had to deal with an environment where revenue is flat, margins are going down, and they don't often know what to do. And so we can bring up a bunch of examples of how we handled that across all of our portfolio companies. And, uh, and these are areas where doctors don't necessarily have experience. One of them is digital marketing, for example. What we find is most business owners who are doctors, they don't spend enough on digital marketing and the little they spend, they don't really measure the results of. So through that, we are able typically to reduce the customer acquisition costs quite a bit while increasing their volume. And this tends to happen pretty quickly after we uh, purchase a company. And, uh, and we have a very, very consistent track record of doing it over and over again. That typically grabs their attention. And then uh, other initiatives typically require having better systems in place. Uh, so what we typically do uh, after acquiring a company is uh, upgrade the, the data infrastructure. Uh, once we have better visibility on what's happening on the ground, uh, that's when we can help them grow the business lines that tend to be more profitable. And uh, those two items typically help out quite a bit, particularly in an environment where margins are getting squeezed. Do they often express some uh, anxiety that your engagement on these topics is going to layer in a bunch of cost that will, in the near term, deteriorate performance. Uh, how much uh, resistance to some of those ideas from just the, the cost and investment side? The digital marketing side, all the costs are kind of variable, and, uh, and we help them run those programs ourselves between the Albron team and our operating partners. So if anything, that should save them money on day one, to upgrade the data infrastructure, that costs a little bit of money. It's a one-off costs, typically, and uh, that doesn't come up as an issue that much. And a part of the reason is, post-close, the doctors own a much lower percentage of the equity through the their rollover. So they're sharing the cost with us, and we are taking the a big chunk of uh, of that burden ourselves. So it doesn't come up as a big issue. Depending on the size of the company, it's anywhere between 100 and 300K of costs upfront to upgrade the, the data infrastructure. And that's small enough that you can uh, cover that with internally generated cash flow. When you do a transaction, you're usually kind of uh, creating EBITDA by scraping some of the dollars mm -hmm. that historically had gone to the provider owners, yep. either through comp or distribution. And those are going to be migrating over in one form or another to the buyer side of the mm -hmm. table. That can create some friction in provider alignment. How do you think of provider alignment uh, through a couple lenses? First lens being uh, kind of how local do you want their alignment in the context of some PE mm -hmm. funds are looking to have kind of equity ownership at the top level. Some are looking to have it closer to things that they can influence. So starting first with kind of equity, how do you think of provider alignment from that perspective? So we've done it in every possible way. And we've learned each time 
the benefits and the, and the negatives of each approach. So for example, in one of our portfolio companies, all the doctors that have equity in the mothership, in the holding company, uh, which is the consolidated entity. In other portfolio companies, we have doctors owning equity at the subco level. And uh, there are benefits and negatives from both approaches. With uh, hindsight, I think having everyone on the same level at the mothership level is actually easier. It's, uh, it's easier to manage. It's, uh, it's easier for the doctors to understand what they own. And, uh, and it's also helpful for them to talk to each other and bounce ideas. And they're all aligned. They're all running the same direction for the benefit of the holding company. And that tends to facilitate some conversations. So that it's less about me and you, my company, your group. And it's more about the common good of the of the consolidated entity. So I think we probably at this point prefer the model where everyone has equity in the same company. I've found that the, that particular question ultimately gets answered by private equity investors from a philosophical perspective, uh, mm-hmm. and that the, they will have a bent as to the kind of competing ideas of let's have everybody rowing in the same direction, Mm -hmm. uh, all for one, one for all kind of uh, philosophy versus kind of the philosophy of it's way better to connect people's incentives to things that they can actually affect. From my perspective as the lawyer, the the sub uh, MSO construct of connecting equity ownership at, at lower levels can present quite a bit of complication complicates what's happening on a on a back end transaction it complicates if you're trying to get more and more granular into kind of smaller and smaller subsections of the business it can create a pretty complicated organization chart so uh, uh, my bias is usually towards the mothership as well but yeah. we definitely see different approaches maybe switching that to the compensation side of uh, provider alignment there's different schools of thought here as well with uh, the traditional uh, thinking being more kind of straight production-based compensation, which is still uh, very popular depending on the, the specialty, uh, versus a more P&L-based construct where the providers are responsible for some level of local P&L. How do you think about compensation uh, through the prism of provider line? Yep. So uh, our bias is... That the simpler, the better. And uh, our approach across the entire portfolio is to compensate doctors based on a straight percentage of their production, of their collections. It's easier to explain. It's easier for them to audit. It's easier for them to understand it. That, however, puts the burden on the management team to manage costs effectively because You could be in situations where maybe adding an additional medical assistant supporting that doctor is going to generate maybe a little bit more revenue, but add more costs than their incremental revenue. So that may not be necessarily over the long term the right investment of resources. So the way we've been able to navigate that is by spending the resources and the time to integrate the platform under a single ERP, EMR accounting system 
everything is fully integrated and uh, we have a management team that also provides support services at the corporate level for anything from call center, marketing, billing and coding and whatnot. By doing that, we can uh, rely less on the doctors being the people on the ground managing expenses judiciously and uh, more on our management team knowing what's needed and what's not. And, uh, and so they can more easily rely on the doctors to focus on generating a revenue and increasing their collections rather than managing day-to-day expenses. That has worked pretty well for us, but there are other models out there, right? There are a lot of private equity-backed healthcare platforms that are not integrated. They're essentially collections of assets and uh, and that's in, by design, they pay doctors based on their PL, a percentage of their PL rather than a percentage of their production. And, uh, and they do that because they want to have the right incentives in place for the doctors to manage their expenses, not just their revenue. And that's also a very valid model. It's not our model. And uh, what we found is in an environment where there is quite a bit of wage inflation, having a unified system where the management team uh, is able to uh, manage expenses at the uh, center level uh, without relying on the doctors making those calls has been quite helpful. I do want to come back to your thinking around kind of acquisition integration, because I think that's a a hot topic right now at a number of levels. But before we get to that, I wanted to hear your thoughts on kind of value creation from a a growth strategy. Many different sectors have different ways to go about that growth. Uh, Some of of it through de novo, maybe new clinics, new locations that you're starting from scratch, some of it through acquisition, and and many are blended in those. Uh, Similar to the question of kind of mothership versus local uh, equity, I find that there's a philosophical bent on uh, uh, different private equity funds and and, and buyers uh, either towards an a- acquisition strategy versus a de novo strategy. Uh, do you have kind of a philosophical bent, uh, recognizing that it's always a mixture of both? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, for us, it's been a mixture of both for each of our portfolio companies. The nervous tend to be an important component. In depending on the subspecialty, acquire hires to facilitate the ramp of the novo can be quite helpful. Uh, we've done quite a bit of that in podiatry, for example, and we're doing that in our patient psychiatry. But also in the topic of the novos, we also put a lot of effort and spend a lot of resources developing ancillary services. Um, that doesn't work with every subspecialty. It depends how upstream you are uh, in the relationship with the patient. But for most of our portfolio companies, we were able to supplement the suite of uh, clinical services provided by the doctors, sometimes with the same doctors, sometimes by hiring doctors that are uh, specialists in uh, areas that are related to what uh, our doctors do, but adjacent. And that's been uh, very, very powerful. It it typically doesn't cost a lot of money. It tends to move the needle in terms of revenue, and it tends to also provide a more convenient service offering for the patients that don't need to go to three, four different practices. 
they can find everything in a one-stop shop. On the topic of uh, growth through acquisitions, one area that has been presenting as a blind spot for aggregators has been a lack of post-acquisition integration. When you're trying to uh, effectuate an aggressive acquisition strategy, the path of least resistance uh, for acquisitions is to uh, do acquisitions in a way where they, by and large, kind of can exist post-closing much like they did pre-closing. It makes it way easier to get the the transaction completed. It lets you kind of skip along doing uh, multiple acquisitions. But what has been presenting in some of these platforms is that the failure to have kind of centralized decision-making policies and procedures and and indeed culture has been a, a real friction point especially if the overall business encounters any headwinds. But increasingly, as upstream buyers of these platforms kind of acquire these only semi-integrated platforms, they're encountering lots of challenges. How do you think of kind of acquisition integration from that perspective? Yeah, again, a bias has been to integrate everything and put everything under one system as early as possible. And... uh, If you had asked me this question two, three years ago, I would have probably said that there is a chance we are spending a lot of resources and effort into something that um, is not as helpful and that buyers of our businesses don't value. Right now, we find that it's actually an attractiveness of our businesses. Our portfolio companies are quite small, but they're very well integrated. And uh, that has helped us deal with uh, short-term issues much more seamlessly than if we were a collection of assets that are not integrated, where you, you rely on the doctor to drive the PL. And some of the challenges that, that our doctors are facing these days are quite unique. It's stuff they've never seen before. Medical assistants, receptionists that three years ago were paid, you know, 20, 30K a year, now are paid 50, 60K a year plus, plus benefits. That, that, that is significant. And it's the first time they've seen so much wage inflation over such a short period of time. And oftentimes the doctors don't know how to deal with that. And so our management team being able to show them how to do more with less uh, has been quite helpful. Uh, and the only way to do it is by having a fully integrated platform. The other thing we've done is uh, uh, centralize a lot of the support functions, such as call center, billing, as well as scribes. And I'll give you an example. By centralizing billing and call center, we are able to provide better coverage to our centers and better service on average. That has increased volume of uh, new patients, which our doctors really appreciated as well as conversions from lead to new patient, but also has allowed us to do something else, uh, which this is an initiative that we implemented in the last year, and uh, and that's offshoring of some of these uh, central functions. We started by uh, offshoring to places like the Philippines, India, our after hour uh, call center, you know, evenings, weekends, 
they've done a really, really good job. And increasingly, as the platform grew and we needed to add call center reps, instead of hiring them at our head office, we started hiring them offshore because they were delivering very, very good results. We, we built on that by essentially replicating the same thing with billing and coding. There is a lot of uh, time that billers spend on the phone waiting for someone at Blue Cross Blue Shield or one of the payers to pick up the phone and address the queries. We've uh, essentially pushed a lot of that offshore, which has made our billing and coding center a lot more efficient. And finally, scribes. Scribes in the office can be ex- expensive, and we essentially provide scribes to our doctors through a virtual assistant. Again, Philippines, India, all those initiatives, you're only able to implement them if you have a, an integrated platform with a centralized corporate office. And uh, if you don't have an integrated platform, it's going to be really, really hard to take advantage of these opportunities. And uh, that's been super helpful to our portfolio companies in the last couple of years. Alessio, I think uh, Alboron does a great job of uh, taking kind of small companies and configuring them in a way that they can grow. And that's certainly evidenced by the success you've had in, uh, in your portfolio. And I'm sure a lot more uh, success is yet to come. I want to thank you for joining me, Alessio. This really has been a ton of fun. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Capital Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.